Well, all right, all right, all right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Brandon Archer Podcast. I am Brandon Archer, and thank you so much for tuning in. I believe that today will be another incredible podcast for your listening pleasure. I believe the words will go down into your heart and get in there and light up your soul and help the Holy Spirit take control as we embark on this journey through the Word and through the book of Acts today. This is episode 30, to be exact. So this has been 30 weeks straight of just taking time to go into the Word and to spend time with you, my friends. So I appreciate you tuning in. just want to say thank you. And I also want to encourage you and just let you know that God loves you and that every every movement you make towards the Lord, every thought, every heart intention, and every moment you give to Him is valuable. He actually keeps record of it. He knows. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows the tears that we cry. There's scripture in the Bible that talks about how He, he actually keeps every tear, which is pretty wild when you think about it. So again, just appreciate you tuning in, and we're going to dive back into the book of Acts today. Really excited to get into chapter 15 and just flow. So let's go. Father, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We thank you so much for your presence. We thank you for this earth. We thank you that you create us, that you gave us life, that you've given us a choice, that we can choose you or we can reject you. But God, we are saying yes to you. Our heart and our mind are open to say yes to you, Father. We want you to to touch our hearts, touch our minds. Do whatever you need to do in our life so that you can get the glory, so that you can have uh, the preeminence and the place in our life so that people can see that Jesus is Lord. And every time I say that, I always think about Kenneth Copeland and how he, Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. So today I have had probably a little bit too much coffee. <laughs> so if I, uh, you know, start going too fast or you just maybe feel a little bit of a, a boost here today, that's because I am definitely caffeine is pumping through my veins, which is the legal Christian drug. And we know that Christians love their coffee. And sometimes uh, I think the the caffeine uh, gets mistaken for the spirit. But in this case, we know the Holy Spirit is here and he is uh, alive and well. And he is going to minister to our hearts in Jesus name through his word. So let's go ahead and dive in. It says in in, uh, Acts 15, we're going to start in verse one. Some men came down from Judea, began teaching the brothers Unless you are circumcised in accordance with the customs of of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed greatly and debated with them. So how do you know, like, I think this is interesting to look at because a lot of times, you know, in church, if you have a disagreement or if... You know, you're debating with people. People sometimes get turned off by it or they think, oh, you know, you're contentious or, you know, you. but sometimes there are there are times where you're going to have to disagree. You know, you're going to have to have an answer for what you believe. And it doesn't have to be done in a way that is, you know, evil, 
arrogant, proud, it can be done in a very practical way. A lot of times people, when they they get in a disagreement, there's anger or there's frustration there. And then they kind of like, you know, it's very easy to get into that place. And I think the Lord wants to train us and season us so that when we get into those situations that it doesn't have to come across like, what are you talking about? I'm right, you're wrong. But that you can you can have a great disagreement and come and bring your part of it and your truth. And ultimately, I think in this type of situation where you get in disagreement, you want God to be the final say. You want God to have the final say and his word to have the final say. And thankfully, we have the word. Back then, they didn't have the Bible. They had the Old Testament, but they were literally the Bible being written. But they knew by experience and they knew by truth, right, that what these men were coming in and teaching was not truth. It might have been a truth at some time, but it's no longer the truth because of what Jesus did. Jesus died and broke the requirement of the law. So you don't have to go and in this situation. It's talking about circumcision and men would have to actually become physically circumcised as a sign of covenant. And if you didn't, if you weren't, then it was you're basically wrong, right? And now they're teaching that it's salvation, but you also have to get circumcised because they're trying to hold on to their tradition and their religion. And we see a lot of um, religions today, even even versions of Christianity that, that they try to hold on to, to the traditions of the Old Testament. They try to hold on to traditions. And sometimes it's for, you know, I think it's for the maybe, because um, not all traditions are bad, you know? But they try to hold on to little things and trinkets and stuff and like to wear certain things. And and as long as there's the power of the Spirit, I don't think God cares what your traditions are. You know, I don't think God at this point cares if you're circumcised or you're uncircumcised. And there's there's even debate on that, you know, where you can like read books. And uh, when we, we were having our my son, who was my first child, you know, there's people that tell you don't get circ- don't get your child circumcised. It's wrong, and they give you a little pamphlet, and you you're supposed to read why it's wrong. And then there's other people that are like, no, it's right, and you know you need to. So there's always it always seems like in every in everything there's going to be some sort of opinion and opposition of somebody else is going to think the opposite, and it's frustrating to me because I wish that there was more of like a through line when it came to certain things, and I think what I've learned over the years is just to find people that you agree with and that you can agree with and just yoke up with those people don't try to yoke up with people who don't want or don't desire or don't even see things the same way because you're going to run into problems you're going to have people pulling you in another direction instead of the direction you feel your convictions are or your passions are so that's a little uh side note there but they were coming in and they're trying to basically add on to to the gospel and Paul Barnabas, Barnabas greatly disagreed and debated with them. So it was determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of, some of the others from their group would go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders and confer with them concerning this issue. So they're like, you know what? This is such a, a problem and such an issue because it, it, it's going to, it's basically like having a little leaven in the lump, right? If you have this teaching in here, it's going to pervert and distort the gospel. It's going to cause problems. And so they had to take it up to the higher ups. They had to get everyone involved so they, they can have a discussion and 
settle the issue. So after being supplied and sent on their way by the church, they went through both Phoenicia and Samaria, telling in detail the conversion of the den- of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the believers. When they arrived in Jerusalem, I always liked that great joy because I think in my life, you know, I like to have great joy. I really do. I think great joy is better than any other substance, any other thing that you can try to put in your life. If you can just have great joy, it is the the answer to a lot of your woes, a lot of your a lot of people who are depressed or they're struggling with things in their life, emotional issues, their thought life may be in the gutter. But if you can get a hold of great joy, if you can find the joy of the Lord, like the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I think it's Nehemiah 8.10 or 10.8 or one of those. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of God in our life should be noticeable. You know, sometimes you get in a relationship with other people and you can tell they're not joyful. You can tell they're not, they're carrying around weight. They're carrying around uh, negativity. They're carrying around things that should not be in their life. And the more you spend time with them, the more that negativity and that lack of whatever it is begins to kind of seep over into your life. And the next thing you know, you're kind of like, even though you love the person, even though you 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 care about people, it's like people can can be in a funk and you can try to help them. But if they don't want to be helped, then it's like you got to distance yourself because it's like they want to it's almost like they want to, you know, throw up on you and put their uh, it's the old saying of misery loves company, right? Miserable people don't like to be around happy people if they want to stay miserable. If they want to be happy, then they have to let go of whatever the thing that they're holding on to, whether it's a grudge or bitterness or uh, anger, strife, uh, hidden sin, whatever the things are that come to try to weigh us down and the, or the enemy's just kind of kicking, kicking us while we're down. And if people don't want to be pulled out of that place, then you kind of got to like, okay, you know, it's kind of like you dust your feet and, and step away and try to love them from a distance because there's nothing like having great joy and when wherever the gospel goes and wherever the spirit of God goes he's imparting great joy to people when you get saved and you give your life to Jesus and you encounter the truth of who he is it doesn't come with like a depressing you know sour face you know looking sad you know, like looking stoic, looking weighed down, looking like you hate your life. No, it comes with great joy. It comes with a laugh, like laughing and a smile. And it's a lightheartedness. You might be going through hard times, but you can take your hard times and, 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 and find the humor, find the joy in life. That's why part of my life, I love stand-up comedy. I love comedians because they take sometimes the hard or the things in life that are you know, crazy or, or people's opinions and they can kind of turn them on their head and may, and look at them from different perspectives and create something to laugh at. And I know people have their different opinions about certain kind of comedies because sometimes they're dark and they're, you know, they're raunchy or whatever. But I love that, like, you know, I think Seinfeld's one of the greatest examples of that, right? He takes life and takes certain sayings or things and like, what is it about this, you know? Like the different episodes, if you ever watch Seinfeld, it's one of the best shows. 
even though it's not a, obviously a Christian show, they're not preaching the gospel in Seinfeld, but it's something that you can watch and find uh, humor and laugh and lightheartedness. You know, there's an episode where he's in his car and he's scratching his nose in the angle and then there's somebody next to him that, that drives up and sees him that he knows. And when she looks at him, he's scratching his nose, but it looks like he's picking his nose. <laughs> And so she gets all grossed out and offended. Or there's an episode where uh, he's dating a girl and in different lighting, she looks like a supermodel. And then other light, other other lighting, she looks like not attractive at all. Oh my gosh, that's, there's so many episodes. You could go, I could go here probably for like an hour cause, and just talk about the different episodes of Seinfeld. Me and my wife love to watch that show and laugh. And my wife loves it too. I'd say she probably loves it more than I do. Um, but let's get back to the word. (laughs) Uh, so after being supplied, uh, it's another way the church, they went through Samaria, blah, blah, blah. I want to, I read this part. Uh, and they brought great joy to all the believers. So I think it's important that when we, when we think about ministry and we think about coming into people's lives, we need to bring great joy. Even when we have to deal with heavy things even when we have to deal with you know some things sometimes you got to bring correction or you got to bring sh- instruction you don't want to bring a heaviness in a in a in almost like a it's like a a darkness or a wall that you're going to set up in front of people when you bring uh shame and guilt and accusation because maybe they're not doing what you want or maybe they're not living right we have to bring joy and excitement and get them to see that there's a future and a hope. Get them to see the truth of, of what Jesus did for them. The truth of salvation, the truth of the price that was paid was to break off all those things. To get your eyes off of yourself, to get your eyes off of uh, you know, your sorrows and your misery and put them on him and put them on your future and give you faith and give you excitement for what's ahead. Uh, when they arrived in Jerusalem, and you know what, I, as I'm talking, I'm having this this thought come back into my mind and you let's go back to the beginning here because I want to talk about uh, unless you are circumcised unless you're uncircumcised so there's this whole idea of works and I know I've talked a little bit about this in, in other podcasts and there's the debate of like you know you don't have to work for God God's gonna bless God loves you there's nothing you can do and then you have James, right? Well, if you love God and you have faith, then it works. And I would say this, and this is my view, and you can, you know, you have a different view, that's fine. But I look at everything starts with faith when it comes to the Bible and when it comes to Christianity. It is faith. And faith is the thing that pleases God. Faith is the thing that actually God is looking for. It's belief. It's not your ability to be righteous and perfect. It's not your ability to keep the rules and regulations, which is what they're bringing. They're saying it's faith in Christ and you have to do this religious thing to be accepted by God. No, God accepts you just the way you are, broken and busted, sin and all. But it's by faith that we enter into the promises. It's by faith that we attain his promises. And faith will produce the opposite of what sin produces. So when we have faith in God, it actually is the thing that that helps us to live sin-free, helps us to live um, depression-free, doubt-free. It's 
staying in the word, staying close to the Lord. It's dealing with the hard issues that come up in our life and letting God have them. And sometimes it's just dying to them. And that's sometimes the hard part because dying is painful. Letting go of your right or your way or your will or what you think should happen and and not getting an attitude because, you know, most people get attitudes and they have stinking thinking because they don't get what they want in life. And then they sit around and pout about it and complain about it instead of refocusing and revisioning. And sometimes it's just a hiccup. Sometimes it's it's not that God doesn't want to give you what you're believing for. It's that you got to walk through something to get to it. And people don't want to have to go through the hardness or the or the work that God wants to do in their life so that they can step into what he has for them. So they sit there and they pout and they whine and nobody likes me. You know, the old, old, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat some worms. (laughs) Whatever, I remember that old saying when I was a kid. No, everybody hates me. Nobody likes me. I guess I'll go eat some worms. And it's like, no, it doesn't matter if everybody hates you or anybody likes you. That's the thing that God wants you to, to get because you're not living for men, you're living for him. And God can bring men into your life that will like you, support you, bless you. You can have relationships that are healthy, you know, and, and then the devil wants to send unhealthy, busted people who don't like you and, and throw rocks at you. And you're probably gonna have an experience with both of those and you knowing how to balance and not allow the negativity, not allow the people that don't like you, not allow the haters or the people that want to try to profile in your life or tell you that you're doomed or tell you you're going to go to hell, right? You have to look to God and say, no, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I know he redeemed me. I know he saved me. I know that I may be broken and busted, but my faith is that God is able to perfect that which concerns me. He's able to complete the work he started in me and I'm going to turn to him. I'm going to cling to him and God can do the work in us. But we have to be willing and we have to be hungry and passionate to allow him to do that. And that takes faith. It doesn't take you checking boxes, okay? It might, and your faith might involve you being faithful at a church, serving at a church, being faithful in relationships, being faithful uh, in saying yes when you feel like saying no, right? You get up on a Sunday, You could stay home, do whatever you want, but instead you say, God, I'm going to church. I'm gonna open my mouth. I'm gonna lift my hands and I'm gonna press in. Not so that I can go to church and see a bunch of people and say, hey, hey, Tim, hey, Susie, hey, Bobby, hey, uh, you know, whoever, you know, John, Juan, whatever people's names are that you know, that, that, that sometimes becomes a reason why people are comfortable at church because they have community and they know people. But ultimately, we don't want to go to church because we want to see Tim and Bobby and Susie. We go to church because we want to connect with the Holy Spirit. We want to connect with God and the ministry that God wants to bring into our life through the pastoral mantle or the the ministry that's happening in that church. That ministry should break into our life and it should we should be open to let God do something in our heart on a Sunday or whenever you go to church. When, whenever you give God that place to worship corporately, to, to let the word of God into your life. And to have somebody that you respect and honor that that you can listen to and follow. You don't want to go to a church and be disgruntled and hate the guy you're listening to and, and be disrespectful and then just keep going to that church. I mean, that's that's probably what I would call stupidity and religion. You want to go to or you're just there because, oh, I, I love, you know, this this guy over here. Or this person goes. So I'm going to go. 
No, you go because you're getting fed and God's working in your life. There's discipleship going on. There's things that are happening. The fruit of the spirit is, is working out in your life. You don't go just because, oh, I know, I know me and the pastor go way back and I know him because he's my friend. I mean, that's easy to go to a church like that. But if you found out you, you never got ministered to or you never really respect him and because he's your buddy and the next thing you know, you're not receiving from him because you have this familiarity. And does it mean that he, that you can't, you know, go to the church, but hopefully you have somebody there that is ministering into your life because you have to have that. We all do. Even the pastors do. Even the pastors that sit at, sit at the top have to have a, a uh, flow down from other leaders in their life that they take time out and, and get involved with and under and let them minister to them, whether it's a conference or it's a, you know, a, a relationship, a, a, a coffee together or a lunch together, whatever it is, where you can open up and not just shoot the breeze, but talk about life, talk about some of those doubts and unbeliefs in your heart. So unless you're circumcised in accordance with customs of Moses, you can't be saved. That's wrong or mistake, wrong doctrine. No, unless you believe and confess your sin and receive Jesus, you will not be saved, right? You're not going to be saved if you reject Christ but you will be saved if you say yes and you invite him into your life and you and you repent and you turn to him and you let him forgive you and then you'll let him baptize you with his spirit and empower you to move you forward. Uh, there's a scripture in Ephesians 2 and it goes uh, in Ephesians 2, 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast it's a gift from god your salvation is a gift if it wasn't a gift i mean does anybody ever give you a gift and then say hey here's my gift get circumcised and then you can really open and receive the gift no that's where you have the false doctrine or the false spin on it because it's man putting something on it and saying here receive christ and do what I tell you to do. And, and that way it gives me some sort of weird pseudo place in your life. No, you get to receive Christ. And then you get to invite me into your life if I'm your leader. You get to invite me just like you did Jesus. You get to invite your pastoral uh, leadership or, or whoever it is, uh, whether it's your family or somebody that you respect. They, they have to be invited into that place. Anybody who's telling you that they, they, they have to be in your life and they, you have to listen to them. That's not the spirit of God. The Spirit of God never forces himself on you. Life can force you into a hole, but then it puts you in a place, what? To where you cry out and you invite Jesus, you invite God, you invite people into your life because you need help. But when somebody's trying to force you to say, no, you need my help and you gotta have my help, right? It's like the intervention. Eventually, like, you know, people who are heroin addicts or whatever, and they get in this place of addiction, how many times have people tried to help them and they don't, they don't listen, they just keep doing their thing and they whatever, and then they end up in a hole. And finally, and finally, at the end, when they see everybody sitting in a circle and crying, and even then, it's still a struggle, even then, they're feeling they're being forced to do it. And the success rate, there is a success rate, but it comes from a place of finally surrendering and inviting that in their life. If they're not going to invite it, they're going to go back out and they're going to fall right into it. And a lot of them end up dead because they never understood the fact of, hey, you need to invite the help into your life. You need to invite God into your life. The invitation actually is 
the way that the power of God comes in to change your life. It's never forced on you. It's never a a sense of like a, a, a weight that comes down because that's bondage and God's not going to force you, right? And, you know, people say, well, what about when you get saved and how people preach, well, you're going to go to hell if you don't receive Christ. Is that a forcing? Well, in a way, it's, it's just the way God set it up, right? That's the way I look at it. God said, hey, I created you. And if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't exist. I'm giving you a chance to exist and invite me into your life. If you don't want to invite me, you don't want to have that relationship, then the purpose of even why you were created is null, it's null and void. It, doesn't, it, it means nothing, right? So it's almost like that's the way I look at it. It's like God's given me the choice to choose him. If I don't want to choose him, that's fine. I can live out my days on this earth, but you're going to have an expiration date. You're going to, you're going to expire. And then if, if it's in hell... Right? We believe that. The Bible teaches that. And sometimes I wonder because I, I just experienced God's goodness and his grace. And I can't imagine because he loves me so much how he could ever allow people to go to hell. But it's it's not really him allowing. I believe it's people choosing. Right? People get all mad. Well, why, oh, God's going to send you to hell. And oh, that's real loving. Oh, God's real loving. Look at what. Oh, he killed all these babies. Right? He told the Israelites to go destroy man and woman and child. You know? He and or uh, look at how he hardened Pharaoh's heart and he made the and all this stuff. You know, they have all these excuses and they try to paint God as some mean, ugly God. And like he's some kind of like abusive father. And the reality of it is, is no, he's he's made so much room and grace. And if you read the Bible, you'll see grace. Even when he did bring judgment, there was always a prophetic word. There was always warnings. There were always things that came in to say, no, look, guys, I'm here and I created you. I'm your father. You're the reason why you even exist is because of me. Right. The reason why you're even able to breathe and have the choices and enjoy the pleasures that you want to enjoy. And some of them, even the sin. Right. The reason why you're able to sin and disobey me is because I've given you that right. And I'm calling you to obedience. I'm calling to you a place of consecration and to be with me. But it's your choice to push me away and to keep me out. And therefore, I've set it up. If that's what you want, then you have an expiration date and it's over. And if there's going to be an eternity of, of misery and hell because of that, then who am I to say to God? Oh, I don't like it. You know, you know what? That's not right. It's not true. So then all of it's not true. Well, then what if I end up at the end of my life and the next thing you know, it is true. And God says, no, I came to you. I let you know, but you rejected me. So it's not by works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created. So we know salvation. We know that us entering into the promise of eternal life is a free gift from God. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to put on some kind of garb or wear uh, some kind of thing around your neck or wear some kind of special holy underwear, right? No, you can, or go to a, a confessional and have a bead on your hand and, and do 10 Hail Marys and 40 Our Fathers to repent for your sin. You just have to say, I'm sorry and invite Jesus into your life, invite the Holy Spirit in and then, change, and then it's your job to change the way you think. Let God come in and say, hey, you know how you like to lie and you, you don't like to tell people the truth? Well, guess what? You got to stop that. And here's why. And then you go, okay, God. And so the next time you're tempted to lie, that voice and that that spirit is there to check you. Uh, you're about to lie right now. You're about to do something I told you not to do. 
And then you have to make a decision to say, you're right, Lord. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell the truth. And you open your, mind, your, your, your heart and your mind and you say yes to him. And then you speak truth. You speak what is truth. You don't lie. Same thing with stealing, right? You used to steal. And because you wanted what you want. And now God's saying, hey, you know how you stole here? Well, we can't do that anymore because that's not the way I roll. <laughs> and so you say, but God, I really want. Okay, well, can you trust me to get, get it for you? Can you trust me to provide for you? Yes, Lord, I, I'll trust you. Well, then don't, and then you, you don't steal. And you say yes to him and you obey him. And it's that simple. And people try to convolute it and make all excuses and really, really like almost, you know, over, overdo it. But the reality of a relationship with God and Christianity is truly very simple. And you can look at humanity. You can look at the way our, our whole system breaks down and see God in it. You can see it in the mother and the father and the family. You can see it in the, the breakdown of authority in our, in our government and laws and regulations. Yeah, they're trying to corrode it. They're trying to corrupt it. But you can see who God is within and around the environment that we live in and how, how it breaks down. And people are trying to pervert it and thwart it and make it their own. And, and then you get the fruits of that. And the fruits of that are wickedness and deception and people stealing and robbing and killing and murdering. And then they go, God's not real. And, and literally the very picture of what it is is in the word of God. And it's so plain and it, it mirrors what our reality is. And then people want to say, that's not true. He's, he's just, you know, he's one of many gods. And, and if you believe his God, why can't this person believe in their God? And they, they want to create all this other stuff to be a confusing or a confusion because the devil's still working. He's still out there. He's still on the job trying to deceive people and get as many as he can to turn away from God because that's the way the Lord set it up so that you really have the tension of saying yes and it's a genuine heartfelt yes instead of, well, yeah, it's easy to say yes to somebody because, you know, you don't want to go to hell. You mean I'm going to burn in, in hell for eternity? Well, then, of course, I want to say yes to God, right? But that's not... I don't think that's the fullness of the message. It's not like, hey, do you want to go to hell? No. Well, then say yes to Jesus. No, it's do you want a relationship? And that's why I think there's some Christians who, like the Bible says, they're going to get to a place where, but Lord, we did all this stuff in your name and we, we proclaimed you. And he says, well, depart from me for I never knew you. Because it's not about fire insurance. It's about a relationship. It's about faith. And faith produces a desire in you to want to know God. It takes faith for you to pray. It takes faith for you to worship. It takes faith for you to, to give your life to the Lord in, in the ways that he's teaching and he's giving us instruction to do so. You can't live your life and create your own system of what Christianity is or what, you know, what G, who Jesus is and then, and then still live like the world and believe like the world and be consumed with the world and that somehow you think God's in that. He's not in that. That's just the enemy. That's, that's your flesh. That's your carnal nature basically trying to deceive you and disguise itself so that it can have its way. And I, I taught this one time at a, in a church about how the flesh tries to, and I did like a, you know, an example where I brought somebody up and I said, hey, this person here represents God. 
This person represents the Holy Spirit and this person over here represents the flesh. And I had the person of the flesh begin to mimic the spirit, try to try to actually do all the things that look like they're they're saved, right? Like I go to church, I have a Bible, you know? I look like I'm devoted to God, but the fruit and the passions of my heart are different than what what I'm wearing on the outside. Because Christianity isn't about um, just putting something on so people can see you, that you look like a Christian. It's actually having it emanate from the inside out to where people's lives are, are either challenged, um, encouraged, or they, they can see it. You can taste it. You can know when somebody has a relationship with God. It's evident. It's in, their, it's in how they talk. When you're around them, when they're not in their whole you know, Christian environment, it's in their home. It's in their, you know, it's in their every day. And I know the difference because I've been in both places. I know what it's like to walk and to ha- have a f- fervor and fire for God. I know what it's like to be enamored and weighed down by the world or, or, or my old man who's trying to fight to, to resurrect himself because of uh, me not being committed or surrendered to God in my life. And it takes a full surrender to truly, truly surrender, to yield to God. And it comes by faith. It doesn't come by works. It might produce works in your life, but the working is not the way uh, to get it. It's by the faith. And the faith, like, so let's go to James real quick. I have my uh, Bible here. I'm going to turn to James because I want to talk about the works that James is talking about when it comes to, it's not by well, if it's not by works, like James is saying, I'm going to show you by my works that I that I believe. So let's see here. It says, when I believe, uh, uh, let's see, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith? This is James uh, 2.14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? And this is, okay, you can see this in churches today, right? Where you have people who are in these positions of ministry. A lot of people think ministry is pulpit ministry. It's, it's, it's being in a church. It's being like in a pulpit, right? That could be a place that you can minister from when you're preaching the word, but it's real ministry is getting involved in people's lives. It's seeing the needs they have and then providing answers, providing sustenance. If they're naked and hungry, you can't just say, oh, the Lord's your provider. He's going to feed you and clothe you. Go in peace. No, you're going to give them clothes. You're going to give them food. You're going to help them by getting involved in their life and being the hands and and feet of Jesus. You're going to move the way God would if he was on the earth. Thus, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if but someone says, but someone will say, your faith and I have works. You, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So he's saying, I'm going to show you that I believe because of what I do. And I guess you can go back and say, well, isn't that what they're teaching? They're saying, hey, you have to show your faith by being circumcised. 
No, they're saying you have to be circumcised to receive Jesus. And you don't. You just have to believe. But if you, if you want to enter into consecration, it's not the outward circumcision. It's the inward circumcision of the heart. It's surrendering your heart. So it's a false idea of what it means to be consecrated. So you're, you're going to, you know, do the whole physical circumcision on the outside, but you're going to ignore your heart. Your heart needs to be circumcised. Your heart needs to be confronted and dealt with. And you need to learn how to have a relationship with God in relationship to your heart, to, to the things that come up, to the angers, to the, the emotions that try to control your life, to the uh, disappointments, um, challenges, you know, your dreams, the things that you say you want or the things you want to become. Those things all have to now go through the process of coming up under submission and subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And your faith is that I believe in Jesus and now your works is allowing him to come in and do the work in your life and you get in the, in the work on our part is just surrender. A lot of the times it's just yielding to him. But other times it's, you know, it's like if you, you got to get up and you got to go and do it. You know, you can't just wait around for God to do it. No, you got to get out there and start moving and start and finding people to minister to and finding people to, to, to touch. You know, you can't just wait for your Christianity to show up on a Sunday and attend a service for an hour. Some churches are hour-long services. And others, maybe they go longer. And I like the longer services. I like to hang out with God. I like to be around the presence of God. I like to listen to the Word. So I'd like to get a good, healthy, meaty meal. I don't want to just go through a, a fast drive through an unhealthy situation, spend, you know, the rest of my week and time in, in the, you know, my, my life and everything, and whether it's at working a job, you know, where you're around people who don't believe or if you're in a ministry where you're around people who believe, but everybody's busy doing their thing and nobody's really uh, engaging in ministry, then you're going to end up empty. And for you just to go to a service for an hour, it's not going to cut it. You need more. You need more. You can you can stay in service for two hours, three hours. Spend spend the day with God, you know, have lunch, come back and do a night service, have a service during the week. Have a couple services during the week. I love revival services. I love having every quarter. And my dream is that, you know, one day I'll, I'll be able to pastor my own church and have ha- be able to set up, you know, systems and, and ways of, of seeking God, of ways of showing our faith, right? It's not works. It's not me going, well, you have to do this to get saved. No, it's me going, okay, now we're saved. Now we have faith. Let's show God that we love him and we want him by including them more in our life. And so I would love to do quarter revival uh, services, you know? And what that, mean, what that means to me is you have uh, days where you open up the church and you let people come and you worship and you minister. You let other people come in with other giftings, whether it's a prophetic gift or evangelistic gift or teaching gift and you let people come in and you let people have instead of going home after work and just sitting in front of the tv and watching seinfeld right <laughs> because that's easy to do but you 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 say no nah, instead of doing that and i can get a little bit of laughter i'm gonna go and i'm gonna get some holy laughter i'm gonna get some joy of the lord i'm gonna go i'm gonna go feed on the meat of god's word i'm gonna get under a, a, a teacher that I know can teach the word and who I can feed off of and walk away feeling satisfied and changed and transformed. And I'm going to give my time and be in the house of the Lord. And I really believe this is how the old, you know, back in the day, this is how the Christians did it. 
because they didn't have all these distractions. They didn't have all this, you know, I got to take my kids to be in soccer practice and my kids, they're playing, you know, and my daughter's in dance and my, my kid's doing uh, archery and, and, you know, have all these things that don't involve God. It doesn't mean they can't do them. It just means like teach them how to desire and want more than just a Sunday, right? More than just an hour and a half, more than just a 20 minute devotion in the morning, which a lot of times they just blow through. But teach him how to wait on the Lord. Teach him how to be sensitive to the move of God and the things of God and the flow of the Spirit. Teach him how to hear his voice and be open to be used and, and flow in the supernatural gifts of, of, of the Spirit, like a word of knowledge or prophetic ministry. You know, all these things come with you being more and more open and spending more and more time with God. So when we have these, you know, uh, and a lot of times people do in conferences and stuff like that, but if you're in a, in a home church, your church really should have these quarterly uh, type of things and, and maybe it's even monthly. You know, we like doing worship nights once a week or every two weeks or some people do it at once a month where people can come. But I'm like, I'm of the mind of like, you know, where you take a whole week and you just go after it every every three months. You know, you, you okay, church, we're having another week and we're gonna, this week, this is what's happening. And this week, this is, and you invite people to engage and to be with God. And I think a lot of the church and charismatic church has gone away from that because they've let society and the busyness and the importance of the world come in and, and say, well, people really don't want to do this. Yeah, because we were catering to their flesh. You're catering to their to the carnal nature who doesn't want God. And we're just giving them a little bit of God and they're okay with that. But they shouldn't be. You want radical on fire Christianity and people who are exploding, going out and changing the world. They're not going to do it when they're just feeding off an hour service once a week. They're not going to do it when they're just feeding off a little bit of God. They're not going to have the ability to stand under the test of persecution. When somebody comes and says, hey, you got to wear a mask and you got to shut your church down and you can't have service. You know what they're going to do? They're going to comply. And, they're, and then the next thing they do, they're going to come back. Their church is going to be gone and dead and they're not going to have a church. Because they let the enemy in, because they were they're lukewarm in their in their fire and their fervency for God. If you're on fire and you're there, you're gonna say, uh, no, you're not keeping me from being with people and being with God. Hey, if people are gonna go, they're gonna go. If I believe this thing, then God has the ability to keep me, keep that which it, that that is important, and He's gonna keep me alive. He's He's the breath that I breathe anyway. COVID's not the breath I breathe. God can stamp out COVID in a moment. He can destroy sickness and disease in a moment. And if I got to walk through some, some turmoil or some kind of thing and believe God, then let it grow my faith. If I got to, my life's over and I enter into heaven, well, pff, there it is. You know, there's the, the greatest thing of all, right? Going to heaven and entering in and being in the presence of God. That's the greatest. That's, that's what we're all believing for. One day in the by and by, I'll be up in the sky with him for eternity, right? But while we're here on the earth, we should be on fire. We should be excited for the things of God and passionate and want to be with him more and teach people that this is what Christianity is. It's not just a little bit here and a little bit there. No, it's a whole lot of God and a lot less of the world and a lot less of us. Amen. Well, hallelujah. I just get going and I'm <laughs> I think I've made it through maybe six verses so far. So when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received warmly by the church. Oh, that's a good one too, right? When you're, when you're going to churches and ministering and, uh, you know, you get around some, some churches that their, their environment's not very warm 
you know, that you don't even feel like you're welcomed. You walk in and people don't even go, they don't even smile at you. They look like, they almost make you feel like, what are you doing here? Who are you? Nobody knows you. You know, you're new. That's, that's not a fun experience. You want to go where it's warm and people look and they smile and they go, oh, that guy's new. Oh, let me go over there. Let me introduce myself. Let me smile. Let me, let me, let me introduce him. Let, him. let me give him a tour. Let me walk him around. That's the type of church you want to be in. You don't want to be in church where everybody looks depressed and beaten down and like, you know, and, and angry and disturbed because, you know, there's some kind of con- competition for who's more spiritual or who's going to be in the in crew and who's going to be in the in crowd. And you got to like, you know, you see all these people like so hungry for fellowship and they're not in, they're not in the circle, but they all want to be in the circle and they're all waiting. Hopefully I'll be in the circle next time. I hope, hope I get to be in the circle and I get to be important. No, we should all feel like we're important when we walk in the church. And if somebody's sitting off in a corner, then we should train people to go after that one person and invite them into the circle. And everybody in our team and everybody in our church should have the same understanding that this new person is, they, they, they need to feel like they belong and that they're welcomed in this place. They need to be received warmly. They were, they were received warmly by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they, and they reported to them all the things that God had accomplished through them. And to make one more point about this warmly thing, you know, you can go into church and there's people who are like leaders in the church. And they know that you're new because your face and their face have never seen each other. And they look at you and it's kind of like a, a curious, like, like almost like a scared, well, should I say something? Uh, and it's like an awkward thing and then they walk by you. And they're literally like an elder or they're on the, (laughs) or they walk by you and they kind of just nod at you and give you like this awkward, like, hello. It's like, really? Like, that's all you got? (laughs) It's like, that's all you got to give? It's like, you got more. Come on, you're serving God. Holy Spirit's on the inside of you. You have boldness. You have courage. The whole purpose of why you're even in that position is for people. So when you have new people come in, there should be this overwhelming, zealous desire to want to know them. Where are you from? Who are you? What brought you here? Wow, I want to get to know you. And if you have those people and maybe you're way down, then you need to start raising up others to, to take your place because you should not let people go by and not feel like they're accepted or belong, especially new people. Those churches out there that, that have people come in, it's like, you know, they walk in and there's like, it's like a click clickish and everybody's off in their own little corner. And then they, you get these weird looks from people because people know you're new. People that are in a church for years and a new person comes in, they know you're new, you're new and you know they know you're new. So when they look at you like with a weird stare and then look away and ignore you, I mean, that leaves so much room for the devil to just come in and, and just ruin you for church, ruin you to ever want to go back to that church or ruin you to ever want to go to another church again. And it happens. It happens a lot. And it's my passion that it never happens. It's my passion that that would never happen to anybody who ever steps into a church, especially a church that's full of the Holy Spirit and worship and the move of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received warmly. Uh, They reported all the things they accomplished. But some from the sect of the Pharisees who had believed in Jesus as the Messiah stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise the Gentile converts and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So here they are. They're not completely 
renewed in their mind. They don't have a complete surrender yet to the Holy Spirit. They're still wrestling with their old man because they're Pharisees and they got that religious thing. And there's people like that, people that were religious before they really had a conversion. And sometimes they got to get that religion burned out of them. They got to get those old ways of thinking burned out of them because they, if they don't, it's going to be the thing that brings bondage back into their life and the people that are, that, that are around them. Because people who are religious, their goal is to make other people like them. And if they're not, then what happens, and I'm not talking about like them in passion, like them in pursuit of God. I'm talking about like them in, like, put this on so you can be like me, look like me. You know what I mean? Like, you have to look like me. You have to wear, like, dress like me, talk like me, sing like me, act like me. You know what I mean? And if you don't, then I don't want anything to do with you. That's religion. The Pharisees wanted to create more Pharisees instead of creating more believers and Christians, Holy Ghost-filled believers. The apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. After a long debate, Peter got up and said to them, Brothers, so here's Peter. Peter's the OG, right? Peter's the one who was rebuked by Jesus, rejected Jesus, was broken by Jesus, and then he's the one that said, Peter, you're the rock. You're the one I'm going to build my church on. Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the message of the gospel and believe. And we read the story about Cornelius back a few podcasts ago where God showed him, hey, this is for all people. This isn't just for Jews. This isn't just for special elect. This is for every nation, Gentile, Jew. That means uh, from Antarctica to Venezuela to, you know, I'm trying to find from the South Pole to the North, to the North Pole. There you go. To where Santa, where Santa Claus lives <laughs> to wherever, whoever's in the North Pole, you know, who knows? Maybe Mrs. Claus lives there because they can't get along. So she, he's in the North Pole and then she's in the South Pole and they just, you know, they have separate, <laughs> separate lives. I'm just kidding. It's a stupid joke. Um, and God who knows and understands the heart. That's a beautiful thing too. God who knows. You got to know that. God knows your heart. He understands your heart. People won't. People don't. People can try. Maybe they'll get a little glimpse. But ultimately, God is the one who knows your heart. He's the one that understands the thoughts and the things that go through your soul. The things that are pure. The things that are impure. The things that are gross. The things that are demonic. The things that are pure and Holy Spirit driven. He knows. He sees. He's God. Giving them the Holy Spirit. So here he goes. He knows their heart, but he gave them his spirit, just that he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. And that's what the really the circumcision was. It was a distinction. It was a sign of the covenant. It was to show that they were set apart and different than other people because other people, they didn't they didn't have the circumcision. They had the, you know, uncircumcised. It looks different and not to be graphic, but. That was the way. It's like, oh, you're not one of us because look at your, you know, and I don't know how they'd be looking down there anyways, but for whatever reason, that's how you would know. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith in Jesus. Not by works, not by putting something on, not by wearing garb, right? That's why the whole, I believe the Catholic priest system is such a joke. They have to put on all this stuff and, and all, all these, you know, like vows and stuff that they make that most of them probably don't even keep 
but it's this thing you put on instead of it being you put on Jesus, you put on faith, you put on the understanding that there's nothing that separates you from the love of God and there's nothing that makes you special than another person other than the fact that you love him and you believe in him. Now then, why are you testing God by placing a yoke? And this is where Peter just lays it on him. He smokes him right here. Now then, why are you testing God? By placing a yoke on the necks of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to endure. But we believe that we are saved through the precious undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus, which makes us free of guilt, of sin, and grants us eternal life in just the same way as they are. All the people remain silent and they listened attentively to Barnabas and Paul as they described all the signs and wonders, attesting miracles that God had done through them, through the Gentiles. So Peter and Barnabas, you know, they're living it, they're walking it. Not only that, but they've been, there was a fast and they've been, they've been sent out, they've been set apart by the Holy Spirit. The thing that separates you isn't the circumcision of your private part, it's the circumcision of your heart. And what that means is that your heart is open and surrendered to the Spirit of God. If you can see your heart as a steering wheel and the steering wheel is the thing that moves your life, it's you surrendering control of, of the steering wheel to the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit be the one who moves you. And, does, and he's the one and the reason why you, do it, why you speak, why you do what you do. It's God leading you. It's not your flesh. It's not your carnal nature. It's not your will. It's not your desires. It's not, um, you know, God can put, give you those desires. The Holy Spirit gives you new desires, but it's you being able to now discern the difference between what is the spirit and what is the flesh. And that's what, that's how you grow up in Christ. That's how you mature is being able to know how, when I'm doing something, is it God or is it me? Is it the Lord or is it just my flesh? And when you allow God that place to have the steering wheel of your, of your life, that's faith, that's trust, that's obedience. And that pleases God. When they had finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simon has described, Simon Peter, who's Peter, has described how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name to honor him and be identified with him. The words of the prophets agree with this, just as, as it is written in the scripture, in that thing that you guys have lived your life for, the, the Torah, the, the, this scripture that you have. And it says, after these things, I will return. I will rebuild the tent of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name has been invoked, says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble and make it difficult for those who are turning to God among the Gentiles by putting obstacles in their way. So because the Jews were circumcised, now they're like, you got to be a Jew. You can't just be a Christian. You got to be a Jew, too. No, they're saying the only thing that makes you a Christian is your faith in Jesus and in your relationship now that you have through God, through Christ. It's entering into that relationship that makes you a Christian. It's your faith that he died for you, that you're saved. It's not us now giving you other things to do 
for you to get saved. You can be saved by saying yes to Jesus and you don't have to have religious um, you know, trinkets or religious things that you do. And some people, uh, you know, they create stuff and they do uh, ceremonies. I mean, I've even seen <laughs> people create the marriage, uh, what is it, the marriage of the lamb where they like have somebody dress up as a bride and somebody represents Jesus and they do a whole ceremony and there's, you know, different like, a lot of people have the shofars and all this stuff that's it's like it's cool i mean it's it's fine but that doesn't doesn't mean you're saved that doesn't earn you salvation you don't you don't have to have those things to be radical on fire for god you might add it because it's some kind of cool thing you like but you don't another person doesn't have to like it they can still love god and not have to blow a shofar or maybe they don't like to hear the shofar in the middle of the service disrupt everything you know they just they don't like that. So they don't have to have that, okay? They can still have revelation and, and enter into God without hearing that sound, you know, <laughs> in the middle of a service. Like everybody's just having a good time worshiping and all of a sudden we got to hear this. And everybody goes, whoa, what's going on? Jesus is coming back. Oh, it's, it's not Jesus. It's just, it's just Jim over there. He likes to blow that thing every time he gets excited. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that now that guy's more spiritual than the guy who doesn't blow the shofar. The thing that makes somebody more spiritual is their obedience and them and their faith in Jesus and their consecration and their love for him. But that we write to them as they are to abstain from. Let me go back here. Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble and make it difficult for those who are turning to God among the Gentiles by putting obstacles in their way, but that we write to them that they are to abstain from anything that has been contaminated by offering to idols and from sexual impurity and from eating the meat of what has been strangled and from the consumption of blood. For from ancient generations, the writing of Moses had been preached in every city since. He is read aloud in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders together with the whole church decided to select some of their men to go to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas, who was called Barsabbas, and Silas, also called Silvanus, both leading men among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and the brothers who are the elders to the brothers and sisters who are from the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria and Sicilia, are Cilicia greetings. Since we have heard that some of our men have troubled you with their teachings, causing distress and confusion. Yeah, because who wants to... <laughs> who wants to get saved and then have to get circumcised at, you know, 20 years old or 8 years old or whatever? Like, I believe in you, Jesus. Okay, now let me cut your your pee-pee with a knife, right? Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Talk about misery. Hey, you want to come serve this Jesus? Oh, you, do you believe he died for you? Do you believe he, he died for your sins? And you know what? Yes, yes, I do, Lord. Yes, forgive me, Lord. You do? Okay, well, hey, guess what? We're just going to take you, instead of giving you the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're going to take you in the back room. We got this really sharp knife. We got this excellent guy. He knows how to cut real good. And he's going to just go to work <laughs> And all you got to do is just get circumcised. I mean, oh, this is so funny. 
Like I would be like, oh, I'm good. I think I'm gonna look for a different religion. I, I really am. I'm not. I don't. I don't need that in my life. I don't want that in my life. <laughs> oh my gosh! I think it's great that we circumcise our kids when they're young because, I mean, I don't. I think it for me, like with my kid, it was. It's just more of like a pass down thing. Or you kind of just your parents did it, so you're gonna do it. And you do it when they're young and they don't even remember it. But think about being older and having to give your life to Jesus and then be submitted to that, you know, or, or, or say, yeah, I mean, you're, I guess you would be considered pretty radical at that point. I'm all in God. Do whatever you need. Oh, okay, I'm done with that. Okay. So it has been decided by us having met together to select men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have sent Judas and Silas who will report by word of mouth the same things that we decided in our meeting. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, right? They came into agreement by and believed that it was the Holy Spirit and to us not to place on you any greater burden. Yeah, that's a burden, all right? Than these essentials. This is what they're saying. Okay, look, you don't need to worry about getting circumcised anymore we've decided that that was wrong okay the holy spirit's telling us what are you doing i'm not doing that but what i do want is this don't don't uh abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from consuming blood and from eating the meat of things that have been strangled and from sexual impurity if you keep yourself from these things you do well farewell so they're not just saying hey you know what don't worry about anything don't you know what it's it's there's nothing involved here you just have to say yes to jesus and that's it no saying yes to jesus does involve something and he's 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 going to the what you're eating and how you eat it and then he's going to sexual purity because in any culture one of the signs of corruption in a culture is sexual impurity it always has to do with sexuality. Those are the things that you can see as huge red flags as things begin to decay and go the opposite direction. And what it does is it brings destruction. It brings it brings disease, sickness. It, these sexual impurity is one of the red flags of any society declining. And we see this in our society today. Sexual morality, all kinds of crazy stuff. But I've I've over gone over my time and this is where i'm going to kind of cut it and then next week we'll pick up where we left off but i pray you have a blessed week and god i just pray this this time with you and your word is fruitful i pray whatever's of you will will linger and stay within their soul within our minds our hearts and god that it would that it would feed us throughout our day and and our that we would think upon the things of god and remember Bring things to remembrance, God, and help us uh, to invite you, invite you into those places in our life, the deep places, so that you can have your way. And uh, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.